0: four character habits are integrity and responsibility and two of the heart are forgiveness and compassion or kindness and caring and empathy of all of the senior leaders that we worked with the ones that were most successful the ones that told the truth
1: Hello I'm Stephanie Perry and welcome to my podcast where do we go from here As an executive coach and organization consultant I'm curious to understand how leaders are learning from the current crisis I strongly believe that there's no going back to normal, and through my work I'm committed to help leaders identify new ways to move forward. Character and what it means has been a lot in our news these days. In today's episode, I'm honoured to talk with Dr Fred Keel, whose leading-edge work on leadership character is published by Harvard in the book Return on Character. Fred has had a fascinating life, but in this conversation, I try hard to keep us focused on the subject of character, which just seems to be so relevant right now. Hi Fred, thank you for joining me today. I'm delighted that you can join me in this podcast, Where Do We Go From Here? And I'm very excited to talk about your work from your book, Return on Character, and your other book, Moral Intelligence. So I'd just like you to introduce yourself in in your own words
0: i am a farm kid from the plains of america and never imagined ever that i would emerge from our little one-room country schoolhouse to be a a published author by harvard (laughs) but i had a family that that valued education and supported me and so i made my way to minnesota where i ended up with a phd in psychology and was only in the clinical practice of psychology for a few years before I discovered the corporate world and was invited to work with one of the senior executives of a local Fortune 500 company. I became focused on executive coaching, which wasn't really called that until a few years later when our firm was featured on on the cover story of Fortune Magazine called The Executive's New Coach. And I think that's the first time that metaphor was actually used in the business press. Anyway, the opportunity to work with high quality senior leaders in the C-suite for several years then led me to this observation that the ones that are high character seem to get the best results. And then that led to working with a co-author who was actually one of my clients, Doug Lennock, to write that first book called Moral Intelligence, and then that led to the research that culminated in uh, Return on Character. And now because that's evidence-based, it's really drawn enough attention that we can, can use that platform to make some, I think, some real difference in the world.
1: Your book came out in 2015, Return on mm. Character. Oh, I have a copy here. And so I just wanted to for people listening, read your definition of character in which you say it's an individual's combination of internalized beliefs and moral habits that motivate and shape how that individual relates to others. So I'm going to ask a question that is probably insulting, but you know, in a two or three short sentences, can you summarize what you mean by that?
0: Uh, Moral habits are the habits that we have when we interact with other people. And they are habits. If you've been trained and developed to have strong moral habits, your first response is if well, a habit shows up, it's an automatic response, and you'll automatically tell the truth. You'll keep your promises. You'll automatically own up to your own mistakes, express a concern for the common good, and then, then your heart will get engaged, and you will be a person who is tolerant and curious when others make mistakes. And you show that you really care for people as individuals, regardless of their station in life. So that that's a reflection of your character. You know, actually, we can't measure those internal beliefs and motivations, but we can can observe the uh, outward manifestation of them. and and that's how everybody makes judgments about somebody's character is, if you think of somebody that you really admire because of their character, why is it? Well, it's because of their behavior. You, know, you can trust that they'll tell you the truth and all of that.
1: So I know there are four character habits. I think it would just be useful to talk about those for mm-hmm. our listeners, those four character habits, because they really are at the, the heart of your work.
0: Well, the, the four character habits are, two of the head are integrity and responsibility, and two of the heart are forgiveness and compassion, or kindness and caring and empathy. And how we landed on those is we discovered the field of cultural anthropology, which for several years now has studied what human societies have more in common than what separates them. And there was an amazing book called Human Universals, where they listed all of the beliefs and behaviors that all cultures around the world have in common. So once we looked at that whole list we realized or reasoned that of all of the senior leaders that we worked with the ones that were most successful the ones that told the truth they kept their promises they were first to admit their own mistakes they expressed a concern for the common good and they were forgiving and and didn't blame other people they were curious whether people made mistakes and then they showed that they really cared about people as people you know they saw somebody in the elevator they didn't ignore them; they greeted them, <laughs> that kind of thing. And once we arrived, to those four, then we realized, oh, there's these two are sort of logical, head, intellectual kinds of principles and behaviors, but forgiveness and curiosity and love and kindness and empathy are, you can't fake those. That comes from the heart. And so, we we realize that there's a compelling evidence that shows that you need Both of those. Almost all of the CEOs in our study were people that got fairly high ratings on integrity. But what really separated them out, and in terms of their impact on the bottom line, was their degree to which they showed forgiveness and compassion. That was the hidden factor.
1: And these are words that we don't often use in organizations, especially forgiveness. I think compassion is coming more and more into organizational Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. But Forgiveness is one of those words that doesn't crop up much in organizational life. Say a bit more about what you mean by forgiveness.
0: Well, the specific use that we have in mind is is uh, when you're in a leadership role and somebody makes a mistake, your first assumption should not be that they're a bad person or that they're stupid or that they're incompetent. Your first response should be to ask, you know, what did we as a system not do right that allowed this to happen? to be curious about it, and then to treat the person in that way, that'll already feel forgiving to them. But, you know, it also has to be a mistake that's within the risk profile of the company. And if it's a such an egregious mistake that it violates ethical rules or violates, you know, some really critical risk factor then I don't think necessarily forgiveness is so important. It's probably separating the relationship that is important. <laughs> yes. But if the person is going to stay in the company, you you show forgiveness right away, but you don't forget until they have demonstrated that they've learned from that behavior and that they they demonstrate that in their future behavior. Then you can forget as well as forgive.
1: Can you give an example of somebody, you know, out of all the CEOs and executives that you've coached and come across, and just an example to make that come alive for us. Well, yeah,
0: probably the CEO that I studied the most in depth was Jim Senegal, the CEO of Costco and one of the founders of Costco. And, you know, the, all of the employees that we surveyed about him just gave him outstanding marks. And we asked each of the employees we surveyed what it feels like to work at Costco. And we had just glowing reports of people loving to work there and, you know, talking about how good it feels and how much their manager cares for them and has their back and all of that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, so what, so what you're saying is that tone at the top that flows right through the organization to Absolutely. employee experience. Yeah, I've done
0: quite a study of of how cultures are established, and it's really clear that a culture is a reflection of the top of the house, that the senior leadership team sets the tone and the expectations for how people will behave down at the front lines, all the way down.
1: I so so agree with that, Fred. That's my experience as well. And also the reverse, if the top, they're not engaged with culture, they're not setting that tone, then... Mm-hmm. That that flows down as well, and and that's experienced yeah. throughout the organization. Yeah. So you said that uh, character comes from training. So can you say a bit more about that training? Who trains us? Where does that come from?
0: Well, meaningful adults and family are the source of training for for just about everybody. Although, in our study, we found that even the top rated leaders often came from troubled families, so it doesn't have to be from an individual in the family. But all of the virtuoso leaders in our study had mentors, and hardly any of the ones at the other end of the character curve (laughs) had mentors. And so for whatever reason, the ones that turned out to be the outstanding leaders sought other people to, to model after and to learn from and they were open and curious from the start. And, you know, they, they let their hearts be connected to their heads.
1: So that's interesting. So it's not just family, but it's also other adults, other people that you come across who influence right. you and that you actively seek out as well. So virtuoso leaders are those people who, who in your research and through surveys, show character as you define it that connection between head and heart so what about the other end of the scale so what's the opposite to virtuoso
0: well we call them the self-focused leaders Mm -hmm. incidentally all of the leaders in our study and there were over a hundred of them ceos rated themselves as being people of strong character now the virtuosos rated themselves a little bit lower than the combined rating of the employees the ones at the other end of the curve, they rated themselves at the same level with the virtuoso CEOs and the employees put them like 16 to 20 points lower (laughs) on the curve. So they were unaware of how their character habits were impacting other people.
1: I know in your work you talk about the difference between intent and reputation. Yeah. So I think that's what you're describing there, isn't it? I I imagine that very few people have an intent not to have character, <laughs> but how that plays out, how people experience it, it's back to behavior again, isn't it?
0: Most, just about everybody's view themselves as a person of strong character. Mm. And only when you find out what the real picture is of how other people rate you, are you broken outside of your bubble in, in your own world. And usually in our coaching work, that's the start for change is for people to see that that big difference. And it's usually kind of a painful experience, but it's not the kind of pain that damages It's the kind of pain that that accompanies growth and awareness. And if that person is treated by the coach with great care and empathy and compassion, uh, they will relax and be encouraged, and then their better selves will start to emerge. And you can encourage that as a coach to help them close that gap between their intent and how they've actually been behaving.
1: Yes. Yeah, so it is possible to do something about this, isn't it? As you say, it's a, it's a habit.
0: Yes, yes, you can. And of course, we've learned a lot about the neuroscience of of habit change. And senior executives have so much on their plate that to bring them a typical kind of development plan with smart goals and action steps and all of that is sort of self-defeating i mean it's just like it's another additional burden that's placed on them
1: i think right now people in organizations are overwhelmed with experience of change and speed of change so i think being able to help so that leaders know that they can make some changes quite simply actually but with with data and with Mm self-awareness too Mm PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This matters because your research shows that it does have an impact on on business results. Mm -hmm. And given the economic crisis that we're facing right now as well, any way in which Mm -hmm. we can Create better business results, I think, is welcome. So, could you just say a bit about the, the impact of this on, on results?
0: The American business world, the belief that as long as you didn't abuse people, the biggest thing was to be honest and to tell the truth. And beyond that, you didn't have to really express any of that soft stuff of showing that you care for them as people and remember their names and all that kind of thing. That was sort of the adopted belief for years and years and years. And I I challenged that belief by doing this research. That's what creates value. So we launched this research project and the end result was that after seven years of gathering data, over eight and a half thousand employees surveyed about these 184 CEOs and their senior teams. What we found was that the high character leaders brought almost five times more to the bottom line. So it was not insignificant. It was a major impact. And that's not 5%, that's like 500% more. So it was uh, hard data, and I've never seen any, any data since then to challenge that.
1: One of the results that you found as well was an impact on employee engagement. And again, <laughs> I think that's so relevant right now where many businesses are working a hybrid model or with people working virtually. So anything that can Mm -hmm. be done to connect and engage employees is vital.
0: The virtuoso leaders had a 26% higher impact on employee and workforce engagement than did the others. People talked about how they enjoyed coming to work and how inspired they were by the vision and how committed they were to the goals of the company, whereas the ones working for the self-focused leaders at the other end of the continuum they are open in I hate coming to work. I'm looking for another job as quick as I can. When mistakes are made by senior management, guess who gets blamed? We get blamed. <laughs> that kind of, kind of feedback. So there's a major impact. And especially at this time, leaders even more need to ramp up their care and their empathy and showing that they are concerned. People are watching leaders more intently.
1: So... Talk about the Jeff Bezos and the uh, Mark Zuckerbergs of this world. They are in the news so often for their poor leadership behaviour, for being seen as unscrupulous leaders, making judgments that are on the edge of being ethical or moral or lacking in character, but yet their businesses are so successful and they have these continuous sustained business results. How do you explain that they can be so successful and yet have dubious moral characters.
0: For most companies that aren't like Facebook and and Amazon as being unique and owning the, the market that they created and first to market, that they can drag along with them several anchors of poor character habits among their senior leaders and still be great successes. Most of businesses have competitors that have similar business models. They all have the same macroeconomic impact for their sector, so their only opportunity of real chance to get ahead of the of the competition is through the quality of their leadership, by gaining that increased engagement of the workforce, and creating a culture where everybody looks forward to coming to work and spending their off hours even thinking about how to be innovative and creative to achieve the vision. That's where the real opportunity is these days. And it's uh, high character leaders that get that advantage.
1: So just to check my understanding, what you're saying is that the Amazons of this world, the Facebooks of this world, have a unique business model. They Mm -hmm. They are the first to market there. And the macroeconomic conditions are actually favoring them. But when they lose those Mm -hmm. advantages and competitors come into the market, then there will be more focus and attention on leadership behavior and and character.
0: Yeah, character is a very influential uh, factor, the quality of character. But likewise, the other side of the coin is that the most principled high-character leadership team can't save a company that has a business model that no longer works. In this country, there was a chain of, I don't know, thousand stores across the U.S. called the Blockbuster chain, and, and they were renting videotapes.
1: Oh, well, I remember them. <laughs> you know,
0: there wasn't anything to do to say that. That business model okay. was doomed. Yes. And, so uh,
1: the Blockbusters of this world, the Kodaks of this world. Yes. That's right. So yeah. it is that combination of macroeconomics, of business model, and then and leadership character. What would you say to leaders who are maybe listening to this and say, well, you know, we're under so much pressure right now that character is a luxury.
0: I'd like that leader to imagine that he or she is the captain of a competitive sailing boat and they discover that they didn't pull up all of their anchors, that they are dragging a couple of small anchors behind them. Wouldn't it make sense to pull up those anchors (laughs) and and gain the advantage? That analogy really applies to... uh, character leadership that that your bad character habits, your habits of ignoring people and not showing that you care for them, not listening, all of those kind of things are like those small anchors that you're dragging. And you pull those up and it does nothing but increase performance. Some leaders that get the, the feedback that show that their reputation is they don't care about the employees when They get that feedback and they realize, I don't want to be seen that way. The best thing they can do is share that data with their employees and apologize. And it'll take, it's surprising how quickly employees will turn around because people want to trust and believe in their leaders.
1: I can speak to that experience because on one of the leadership programs that I I ran with you, there was a, a leader who got terrible feedback from his employees and was on the first survey considered to be a self-focused leader. And when I read his data, I was thinking, goodness, you know, what, what is this person going to do when he sees this? Mm-hmm. And what what is he going to be like? And when I met him and worked with him, he was so open about this data and did exactly what you said. And w- it... Increased his self-awareness. I think it was the first time anybody had mm-hmm. given him such feedback and anybody had shone a light on his reputation. And he did many things to to change. The next time I met him, which was about nine months later, he even looked physically different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just felt so much better about himself mm-hmm. and his team and how things were going He had more energy. He created more time. His team could just get on and do their work without him. And so he he could do Mm -hmm. other things, more strategic things, more strategic thinking.
0: That's a great example of how the benefits of high character leadership can uh, is much more than just the impact of the bottom line.
1: Yes, yes.
0: I bet he sleeps better too.
1: (laughs) I'm sure he does. And I think that it's an example of... It is possible to turn the situation around, that it's Mm -hmm. not something that's static, that's just set in stone, but that you can do something about it. What advice would you give to people who are feeling such pressure right now but want to either increase their self-awareness, improve their character, or sustain those those different character habits? What advice would you give them, Fred?
0: Well, first, top of the list, I think, if you don't have a, a mentor find one but you know you, not just any person can be a good mentor to you it has to be somebody that's been there and done that and and that you think there's something you can learn from them and even if they don't have all sorts of pearls of wisdom immediately just the very fact of having somebody to listen and ask you questions is a great benefit.
1: I think probably asking for feedback as well is if you can get feedback from peers or colleagues or yeah. your team right now or your boss is also important isn't it to increasing yeah. that self-awareness and it prepared. requires a
0: little bit of humility of yes. understanding that you don't have 100% of the answers and you shouldn't be expected to have 100% of the answers you in fact the thing that stood out among the virtuoso leaders is they were in a continuous learning cycle they, they were constantly curious about when something went wrong they thought what could I learn from this what did I do what could I change and uh, that's a level of mental complexity that the world could really benefit from if we had many more leaders like that
1: that's yeah. great thank you I know a really part of your work and very you're very passionate about creating a movement around character that this your research and your ideas about character gets spread around the world so what would be your call to action to people listening to this right now who connect with your message?
0: Well, the call to action is really in two, two different realms. One is that I'm really eager to impact the education system, especially of software engineers. The whole software world is dominated by young white males. And it shows in the, the work that they do, the hidden unconscious biases that are baked into algorithms that first showed up dramatically with imaging and the fact that people of color didn't show up effectively in the image research and all that. So there's a real opportunity to help them get outside of their bubble and to influence the institutions to install... a. a, a a required course on self-learning and self-awareness, and observing what is your reputation, and and you know if we could spend two years with software engineering students on that, and increasing their sense of of who they are, and seeing the bigger picture, and becoming aware of their character. Perhaps doing that inner work and that reflection that would be one way to really propel the movement forward.
1: Just to add to that, Fred. Creating more diversity in software engineers right from the yes. beginning, so that right. so that that problem isn't isn't baked in. Yeah,
0: and the second is is that I believe that there's a real opportunity to use technology to create virtual avatars that are your sort of a substitute or uh, in addition to your mentor. <laughs> For those of listeners who are interested in this, you should check out Soul Machines in New Zealand by a a, a genius named Mark Sager. He's he's got a PhD in neuroscience, but he also is an artist and he won two Academy Awards for his work on uh, major motion pictures. (laughs) So these avatars that he has created, he's used all of that. So they look totally human-like and they show human expressions and surprise and everything else. So I know it's possible to connect with many many people we just need a way of connecting that is more human than technological. It could be you know what what I do as a coach and what you do as a coach is what to boil that down to the essence and have an avatar be available so and make the experience so much fun and supportive that
1: users want to go to it several times a day. So an idea could be, as part of creating this movement, that, there are, that av- avatars can help you create the habits of character because right. they're sort of like they're tapping you on the shoulder or a resource that you can pull upon to remind you or to help you identify how to create and su- sustain especially these habits. Okay. Yeah, so
0: it's those kinds of things that are my, my vision of how to, how to create the movement and how to keep it going. It's just important that we try to get ahead of the curve and develop technology that is supportive of humanity. And I'm running out of personal time in the sense that I turned 80 not long ago, but I think I have another few years uh, to contribute and I have a personal goal that before I retire, I want to have us certified a thousand executive coaches, and that uses our technology, and you know not just get certified and then stop, but are actively engaged in using the technology.
1: So, Fred, the question that I ask all my guests on the podcast is: Given everything that we've talked about. Where do we go from here?
0: Well, I think it's to turn to the existing tools that you have, and and you have more tools at your disposal than you probably realize, to seek a new level of self-awareness, to spend time in self-examination, to find, again, that mentor that you need, to identify people that you trust enough to ask them for feedback and to be open and in a learning mode from them that could be subordinates could be peers it could be people above you and it could be people in your private life so set yourself at an objective of moving quickly ahead in that journey of self-learning and self-awareness
1: Fred that's great that's so practical but based on so much insight and wisdom and experience mm-hmm. so thank you thank you so much for joining me today
0: thanks Stephanie it's been a pleasure
1: Thank you for listening to my podcast. Where do we go from here? I'm Stephanie Parry. And if you want to find out more about my work, please go to wwwstephanie This podcast has been produced by Hattie Moyer at storyhunter.co.uk and if you've got this far, you'd probably like to know that the music was written by Jean-Pierre Clowareg, my husband, and interpreted by my stepdaughter, Julie Clowareg. Thank you. Bye.